there's definitely been moments, you know, because I'm going to be 36 in March. And, and so there've been moments in this process with them where I like thought like, wow, is this like the sign? Am I supposed to be retiring or, you know, like they think I'm done, like, am I done? And, and then on the other hand, I've started coaching and I'm, I'm working with, you know, all these men and women that it's like, what is retirement and running? Like, I'm like, I'm never going to stop doing this. Like, <laughs> so, um, it's, you know, when you're a professional athlete, you're, mentality can become so fixated on just the outcome and if you're not winning the race and if you're not making the team it feels like a failure and, and so for me to have kind of like this renewed perspective of just the, the process and the enjoyment and fulfillment of just the entire undertaking is, has been really refreshing for me hello podcast world welcome to episode 71 of run chats with ron runs nyc Kim Conley has had a storied career as a professional runner, proudly repping the USA eight times, including at the 2012 Olympic Games in London and 2016 in Rio. Kim has won two national titles at 10,000 meters and at half marathon and earned the bronze medal at the 2019 Pan American Games in the 5,000 meters. Kim holds PRs of 1505 at 5K, 3135 10K, and 6944 at the half marathon, and get this, in pre-carbon shoes. After a 10-year sponsorship run with New Balance Running, Kim is a free agent and excited for her next chapter as she moves up to the marathon with a goal of running in the 2024 Olympic trials and is shooting for her third Olympics. In 2021, Kim began coaching with McCurdy Trained and is currently finding joy helping them build their plans, hit big goals, and is drawing inspiration from the work ethic of her 29 athletes. We took a deep dive and discussed key coaches who had an impact, Larry Meredith, Mr. Walsh, Drew Wartenberg, her husband. Key races, the 2012 trials, coming from fifth to third in the last lap with a lean at the tape to make her first Olympic team. The 2024 U.S. champs, where she edged Jordan Assay in front of a hometown crowd and her whole family who were in town for her sister's wedding in Sacramento. The 2012 and 2016 Olympic experiences. Finding joy and inspo in coaching. Creating a running camp. Community service. In 2018, Kim joined the board of the USATF Pacific Foundation, which awards grants to Olympic hopefuls. We also talked about a ton of other stuff, and it was so fun getting to know her. Kim's journey and story is so damn inspiring, and I'm stoked to follow the next chapter. I hope you all enjoy this convo as much as we did. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Kim Conley, welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you doing this evening? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to see you coming through the Zoom screen at me. What a trooper you are today. I know you already did another podcast earlier in the day, man. So you get huge kudos to me for doing two shows in one day. Amazing. I mean, <laughs> that is like big time, you know, helping out the people in the business, you know, to spread the good word on your running, hopefully, and, you know, get you more people interested in following your racing and your career and what you've been up to, right? Yep. All good. I'm happy. Happy to do it. Yeah. 
Um, so for everybody at home, in case you've been living under a rock, Kim's a two-time Olympian in the 5,000 meters. Um, she ran in the 2012 and 2016 games. And I think when I was, you know, just looking over your bio clip, I think you repped the USA like eight times. It various like world championships, cha different types of championships, et cetera. So man, that is amazing. Like what a resume. And uh, I'll bet when you were starting out as a kid, you weren't ever thinking that this is where your life was going to go, right? <laughs> Definitely not. No. I mean, when I was a kid, I mostly uh, just wanted to be good at soccer and then join a cross country team. We got to uh, run to the ice cream store on Fridays for ice cream. So that was like the biggest incentive. Um, definitely never thought I'd be running at this level. Awesome. Running to the ice cream store. We had the good humor guys used to drive around our neighborhood and ring the bells or Mr. Softy or somebody. Yeah. We came out of the woodwork. It didn't matter where <laughs> we were. You're right. We would be like, you know, 25 blocks away and like run the truck down for, you know, a double scoop cone ice cream or a malted or something like that. Um, but yeah, all good stuff. Right. So tell everybody a little bit about, I know you, interestingly, I know you didn't grow up in the U S so tell everybody a little about that, like where you grew up and then where you moved to and, and what life was like as a kid. Um, yeah, I mean, I, so I was born in England, my mom's English. Um, but we moved here when I was under a year old. So, uh, well here being, uh, Santa Rosa, California. Um, so I grew up in Santa Rosa, California, and then went to UC Davis for college. Um, so I, I was in California, um, my whole life basically until 2020 when I moved full-time to Flagstaff, Arizona. So now you're in flag. So wine country, come on, that's awesome, man. <laughs> now, did you grow up like knowing like how cool that was, or was it just like, this is where I live. It's not really all that cool. Like, cause now, you know, so many people obviously travel and make their way out there and at any age, anybody who's interested in wine or maybe big incentive programs and big trips, they take their top performers there and they get to go and people do great honeymoons and whatnot. So what was that like? I mean, did you have any inkling of what that was when you were a kid? I did because my family's um, pretty international. So, you know, like had family in England, had family in Australia and then the family that's in Australia is in the wine industry there. So um, definitely like, yeah, where we lived was kind of like a, a cool hub for everybody to gather. Love it. Now we have wine. Now we have to do a wine discussion on Australia. <laughs> now auto automatically you're already getting your second invite to the show because um, uh, the Romanos are huge into wine. Uh, very, very big into wine. Uh, it's funny because I have uh, two brothers. I'm in the middle and my older brother and I are just madmen, wine aficionados, just crazy. Um, started in our business lives when we were younger, just taking clients out and kind of learning what to, what to drink, what to order for the table and what people might be interested in. And my younger brother just makes fun of us and thinks we're completely off our rockers. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's so cool. I mean, you're around all of that. Um, and just, you know, the farms and the agronomy and the soil and the temperature and the climate, it's just interesting, man. I mean, I, I don't think people realize just how much goes into, what, how much work is involved, you know, to produce a bottle of wine that's drinkable versus like a really good bottle versus a really exceptional bottle. And then to build that consistently, ironically, because you are the queen of consistency. Um, <laughs> you have been killing it for a long time. And in our sport, it's not easy to get a sponsorship deal with a Nike, a New Balance, Adidas, a big brand and stick around 
and do what you've been doing for as long as you have. So um, kudos to you on that. And that says a lot about who you are as a person, because it isn't just about the times, right? I mean, I would want to believe that there's more to that relationship, right? And that back and forth and the to and fro. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> they didn't take the option on my contract this, uh, at the end of this year. So it, it, it has ended now with new balance. Um, but I mean, it was, it was a really good 10 years, um, 10 year run. And, um, yeah, I, I loved being a part of it, but you know, at the same time, it's, it's okay. It's, you know, it was the end of a chapter and and that was what made sense for them to make that decision. And I, um, actually feel fine with it. My agent's working on some other things. Um, and so, you know, for me, it's like, okay, like there's, there's going to be another chapter of my career here. I mean, like you said, it's, it's been a really long one and, and I'm kind of excited to see what it holds. Well, I hope that somebody's smart enough to get the pen and paper out and say, we're going to, we're going to sign Kim now because look, I'm, I'm going to make some calls for you, man. I'm going to get my on <laughs> my, I just had my boy Ben Flanagan on with the on crew. And I know David Kilgore well from New York city is super tightly connected with that brand, although he's not maybe what most people would think of at the elite, elite, like Olympian end, but he can run 100 milers. He can be really competitive in a marathon. He can run shorter distances, but he's just forged a great connection with the ownership of the on team. And like I said, he's actually helped bring some of those athletes in. And the interesting thing we've been following it is um, their coach, you know, that group a bunch of them are running for different teams. So they're almost kind of like freelancing, like one guy's running for Adidas, one guy's running for, for on one guy's running for somebody else. And, uh, like the very nice track club they're in, you know, they're in Michigan, you know, Ben has, you know, gone back to his roots. So, you know, who knows, I'm, I'm sure you have in flag, you have, you know, access to so many training partners and people that you work with. Right. I mean, at this point, are you doing your own coaching or you still have somebody who's like working with you and writing all your workouts. Cause I know you are a coach as well. Yeah. So, uh, my husband is my coach. He has been, um, gosh, well, since I guess since the end of 2008. So it's a long time now. <laughs> um, but, and I, and when I started coaching, um, that was at UC Davis at the collegiate level and I was his assistant coach. Um, and so, so he was kind of like, like I got my start in coaching kind of like under him and, um, you know, like learning, learning from him. And, and he's obviously had a lot of success as a coach. He coached me, he coached Kate Grace to, you know, being eighth at the Olympics in 2016. Um, and, and when my career really took off, that's when I stepped back from coaching, um, at Davis, just because I was a little too stretched. I didn't feel like I was being the best coach I could be for the athletes because I was going off to altitude camps and I was traveling all over the world for races and I also didn't feel like I was being the best athlete I could be because I would like jam a run in in the morning and then stand out at the track, uh, you know, watching their workouts rather than like going home and recovering. So I realized I, I needed to make a hard choice about, you know, what I wanted on my career and that coaching would always be there. But um, but I needed to kind of like focus on myself as an athlete at that point. But um, yeah, just in the in the past year, like James McCurdy had approached me. He's actually my neighbor in Flagstaff. Um about coaching for him and and the way his business is set up, coaching online, coaching runners all over the country. It was something that I realized could fit really well with my lifestyle because um, I still carve out my time for my training, but I'm, I'm available the rest of the day. And I love it um, because I have all these connections now with, with people all over the country and, and a bunch of people in New York. Um, and, and I'm really happy. That's great. 
Um, I think the virtual coaching model has just changed everything. Um, and particularly in COVID times, we were forced into doing almost everything virtually. I mean, real road races were canceled, real marathons were canceled. And um, the last real race that I remember was the Atlanta Olympic trials and marathon trials. And then everything kind of stopped dead after that. And then it became very much a virtual world. But yeah, I mean, you can pour a lot into that kind of relationship, but you're not burning the same amount of hours. As you said, you're doing a hard tempo run or a hard track, track work at yourself or a long run, you know, out on maybe Lake Mary road. And then you get back and go watch somebody an hour later when you're fried and exhausted, that had to be really tough. Um, and I just know for me, I don't know about for you, I won't speak for you, but for me, I would feel like, oh man, I'm not present enough for this person. Like I want them to succeed. And I know damn well, you are going to be invested in these people. Like, I mean, when they, when they hit a successful accomplishment, whatever it might be, getting to a mileage goal, getting to a workout result that you're after, or, you know, maybe hitting a race goal time or something like that. It's got to feel almost every bit as good as when you're doing something yourself, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, and yeah, on, on some level, you almost get like a little bit more nervous for, for other people than you do for yourself. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I know it is, it is really satisfying to, to help kind of see people through, you know, making leaps in, in their training and, and then in race performances and, um, and the people I'm working with, it's just, they're also like interesting and diverse and, and they have, you know, like, busy, complicated lives. It's, it's really different from, um, from the way my life is. And so like, I have a lot of admiration for the way they take on, you know, preparing for the Boston marathon and they're doing all their runs like at, you know, 4.00 AM (laughs) before they go to work. And it's just like, um, I have so much for respect for the way they, they get it done, you know, fitting it into the rest of their lives. It's so cool to hear a professional runner who's been in two Olympics, just say that out loud, because it is true. I mean, we're, we're crazy. I mean, you know, <laughs> half of us have three, four kids. I only have one and he's graduated college now, but it's insane. My running friends, you know, and I'm 61, but I've got friends that are down into their thirties that I run with, you know, and then all the way in between, but it's, it's unbelievable. The discussions I have with them. Well, if I don't do this, then I'm going to, okay, all right, here's an alternative. How about doing this way? How about flopping your whole week around and doing it that way? You know, don't run a seven day week, you know, forget a seven day week, you know, do make your schedule 10 days or eight days, like add more days as a master's runner anyway, so that you're not doing a hard run every other day. Maybe have like two days recovery in between and just like space things out more. Um, but yeah, it's impressive as hell. And I just got back from Miami after being in Vermont, visiting my son and my son's like, dad, you're going running. It's minus five temperature, not wind chill. I go, yeah, I know it's minus five. That's why I'm going running. I want to see if it feels any colder than when I ran the 60 miles for Tommy Rose on my birthday last year. I want to see if it's colder than that day. Cause it was like wind chill zero that day. And it was like minus 28, which is just stupid, like so stupid. And then I came home for like one day and then we flew to Miami. My younger brother and I were down there and what a, I mean, what a dream, you know, I'm running like 75 degrees, although I was like sweating like crazy, but you're right. I mean, you got to get up at crazy times or run in horrific conditions, or maybe even do crazy long marathon workouts on the treadmill with mile paces in there. So yeah, that's, um, that's gotta be challenging. Now you, when you write it out for them, like what's the back and forth like? Do you do like a zoom with them once a week or do they just message you and say, Oh no, we got 25 inches of snow. What are we going to do? Like how, how does that work for you? Like, uh, with workarounds? 
Yeah, it's um, pretty much all messaging. Like, you know, I say like, let, you know, I say to everybody in the beginning when they first come on board, like, let me know anytime you want a phone call. Um, very few ever ask for a second phone call, seems like so far. Um, <laughs> but again, I, I think everybody's more busy than I am. Um, <laughs> I'm not buying so, that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so a lot of messaging back and forth, a lot of them looking at weather forecasts and saying like, Hey, this is what it looks like it's coming, uh, you know, the, for the coming week. And then we figure out how to rearrange the week. Um, and then, you know, there are just lots of bumps in the road that come along. I mean, half my athletes have had COVID now, I think. Um, and you know, I have a woman that's had to take her son to the ER with like a cut finger. And then somehow like after spending almost like 24 hours there, she like got her workout in on the treadmill the next day. I was just like, wow. <laughs> hey, see, but this is really cool because, you know, you've already made two Olympic teams and you're still running at a crazy high level. It has to, it's got to help you just with your own, you know, inspiration, you know, just if you're having a rough week or you're struggling a little, or maybe you didn't nail your last workout, even personally, that you can kind of tap into some of that, right? That you, these are direct relationships that you have this back and forth with. And hell, man, I'm inspired just listening to you talk to me about it because it is, man. It's like, we're willing to do this crazy shit to get to the Boston Marathon. We're not going to run any kind of time like you've ever run in our, in your life, but we're still going to be so joyful to be out there, like so proud of the fact that we're lining up out there and, you know, and what an experience is. And of course I have my Boston shirt on today, one from, I don't know, 2017. I've been in so many of them. I can't keep track of them anymore, <laughs> but, um, does that, does their energy, do you kind of feed off that a little yourself, um, into your own running? Oh yeah. I I totally do. Um, and yeah, it, it's exactly what you say. It's just the appreciation for doing what you're doing and the the time people are dedicating to it and the money they're spending on it, you know, to go, to go to these races. And, you know, when you're a professional athlete, your mentality can become so fixated on just the outcome. And if you're not winning the race and if you're not making the team, it feels like a failure. And, and so for me to have kind of like this renewed perspective of just the, the process and the enjoyment and fulfillment of just the entire undertaking is, has been really refreshing for me. That's a great insight. Um, because for all of us that have never run professionally or never worn a USA Jersey to run in, you know, in a USA track and field championships or be even more amazing. So to go to two Olympic games, I mean, it, it's run, it's results oriented 100%. That's, that's basically you know, what it boils down to. And sadly, you know, with contracts and all the other stuff too, I mean, it really is just so hardcore um, and it shouldn't be. And, you know, I did not know that about your contract. So, you know, I'll just put it right out there. Like, believe me, if I had anything to do with New Balance and I was in charge of their marketing division, I'd be like, hell, there's no way I'm letting this person go who's been with us this, this many years because everything is not about straight metrics and straight line performance. Like it's about engagement. It's about the brand. It's about how long and consistent you've been and that you're still killing it with your running. It's not like, okay, you're not, you don't have a chance to make an, the next team. You have a great chance. I mean, I'm sure you're feeling good about your chances, you know, with Eugene coming up this summer, at least I hope you are now that I said that. <laughs> well, I mean, thank you for saying all that. And I mean, yeah, like there's, there's definitely been moments, you know, because I'm going to be 36 in March. And, and so there've been moments in this process with them where I like, I like thought like, wow, is this like the sign? Am I supposed to be retiring or, you know, like they think I'm done, like, am I done? And, 
And then on the other hand, I've started coaching and I'm, I'm working with, you know, all these men and women that it's like, what is retirement and running? Like, I'm like, I'm never going to stop doing this. Like, it's, so, um, it's, yeah, it's just, it's not black and white basically, you know, I'm, I'm going to continue doing this. I, um, I want to move up to the marathon. I want to be focused on the roads. So, um, I'm not, I don't have, I'm not intending to try to make the world team for Eugene. Um, but I am intending to, you know, be at the Olympic trials in 2024 in the marathon. I love it. It's a great, it's a great long-term approach. I mean, cause you have the 5,000 speed, you've done it twice. You have all those years of, of, and you still have the wheels. I mean, you were fourth at uh, the Abbott 5k, right? When I saw you in New York city. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's an incredibly competitive field and that's like a hardcore, you know, t- not an easy course, road course, cold, probably it was probably, I don't remember because I try to blank out the day before the marathon because <laughs> I know it's coming the next day, but no, it was, <laughs> it was actually a nice morning and we were out there. I forgot. I, I hosted a big shakeout run that morning. Cause I remember seeing, I saw you and, and, um, and your agent and, um, yeah. and what's his name? Uh, Shadrick, right? Um, yeah. you guys are out having some pizza or something at a gluten-free place where I eat usually the night before the night before New York city. So that's super cool, man. That, that should be exciting. I mean, that's got to get the juices flowing. I mean, have you, I'm sure you've run a, you've run some halves along the way. You had to have run some competitive half somewhere in there along your 5,000 career, right? Well, so I've actually only run one. Um, okay. It was the Houston half in 2015. It was the U S championships that year. Um, and I won and, you know, it was, it was a really like exciting debut. I was, I was thrilled with it because I ran 69 44, which pre footwear (laughs) technology was a pretty good time. Um, it was four seconds slower than Shalane had debuted a couple of years earlier on the same course. So I was like, very, like, I felt really good about that. Um, and then in 2016, I actually made my marathon debut at New York. Um, and I absolutely loved the buildup and the training. And then I, it was the hardest, most humbling experience in the race um, of my life. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I definitely have like a respect for the marathon that, um, you know, I'm, I'm moving back there, but I, I won't be as like, um, I don't know, I, I, maybe I was a little like overconfident or I just like, I just thought I was going to take to it as well as I did in the half marathon. And now I'm, I'm going to be a little bit more cautious this time. Yeah. I mean, listen, professionals make mistakes, coaches make mistakes and it's not even mistakes. It's like, we're a little ambitious. You know, we, we feel we've hit these workouts. We've, we've hit a 69 minute, you know, and change half marathon in Houston, um, which is a fast course, but it's always windy. There's always wind in the back half of that race from, from my recollection. Always. It seems like you run dead into the wind, like the last couple of miles when you're coming home, um, at least in the years when I've been down there. Um, and the marathon and the half marathon course are very similar. I mean, you're kind of running around the same basic geography. Um, but New York could serve anybody humble pie on a first time race. Anybody, (laughs) I don't care who you are. Um, just, I mean, miss a couple of bottles, miss a few gels and you know even maybe the best laid plans could just die right there and that course will just get you man because all of those bridges all that concrete um and i live here this is my home i mean this is where i run all my miles it just no matter how much you think you have it down you get to fifth avenue and that's like the final beat down like going up that fifth avenue you look at a hill profile chart there kim and it's like oh this is absolutely nothing this isn't even a hill and every single elite runner that's ever run that race and every competitive age group runner that's ever run that race that's even one like top three in their age group in new york they're like what the hell is going on on fifth avenue and it's like it's like some secret 
you like pain killing area where everyone just dies. And then you get into the park, like for us, cause that's our home, like where we run all our miles. So we're like, okay, I'm back. I'm like, I'm back. I'm revived. All the people are around, but just going up fifth Avenue is like a death march. So what was your favorite part of New York and your least favorite part? Oh man. Um, <laughs> um, Probably favorite part was the first like eight miles, um, like going through Brooklyn. Like, I, yeah, like I really enjoyed that. But I just, um, I just got a little too excited. I was kind of, a, I acted like a track runner. I saw some people ahead. I was like, I'm going to bridge the gap now. I didn't stick to my pace. And so I just, um, I just got like swept up in the energy and started racing, you know, seven, eight miles into a marathon. Like it sounds so ridiculous now, but that that's what happened. And then, um, Queensboro, like by the halfway point, I was like, oof, this is hard. Um, and then Queensboro <laughs> bridge, I like wanted to walk. Um, and it was very lonely and quiet. And then, um, yeah, fifth Ave on fifth Ave, the, <laughs> The lead vehicle that had, because so I have a debut in 2016, like coming off the Olympics, which was also probably a mistake just emotionally, like having, you know, come from Rio and then like enter my first marathon build up and then, you know, go to New York for your first marathon. It's just a lot. But so the, the like lead vehicle from the men's race had all the Olympic marathoners on it, just like, as like, you know, to wave to the crowd and all that. And, and so they drive by and I just remember like Shalane and Amy Hastings and Desi just like screaming for me and cheering. And by that point, like the whole thing was just so ugly. And I was so, I was just getting so annoyed and I was bonking and I was just like, oh, like, why are they yelling for me? And why have they done more than one marathon? Like they're crazy. <laughs> uh, oh my God. That is the best ever. Um, I mean, not. Obviously, now you can laugh about it, um, but you know, getting ripped up out there and just having things go wrong, everyone has to have go through that. I think to really like earn your wings, man. I don't care, Olympian <laughs> or not, you know, like you make a mistake in the marathon. There's really no way you can fix a lot of racing, um, and you know, you can go out too hard in a 5K, and I'm sure you you're gonna suffer really bad. But I'm sure you can still keep the race somewhat together, you know, within maybe 20 seconds of your PR or something like that if you're really fit. But in a marathon, man, you could be like 20 minutes off what your goal time is for in a blink of an eye, you know, by making <laughs> one mistake and then maybe making another mistake after that. Then all of a sudden, you know, the wheels are off the chariot, and then you know you have you know Shalane and Amy like yelling stuff at you. You're like, yeah, shut the hell up. I don't hear from anybody. Leave me alone. Go, go drive up to the next runner. Leave me be over here by myself. And then it doesn't help. You're going up first Avenue and the crowds are all screaming and yelling too. Right. You're probably yeah. like, Hey, is this a good place? I could just like check out of here and just like get, that get definitely happened. I was like, I think I'd like to DNF. And I was like, I don't know where to, the crowds are so like thick here. I was like, there's nowhere to leave the course. <laughs> It's so funny that you said that because I don't know any runner that hadn't, hasn't hit an experience like that somewhere that that's not going through to, okay, where could I go? Like a, a friend who was on the show and she had run her first sub three, she, her, she, she's actually, um, uh, a physical therapist. So it's doctor physical therapy and a strength trainer and a running coach. She's all three things. And she ran for my team in New York city, central park track club and in Chicago, she just got this very late thing that she just thought it was like taper crazies, but it wasn't. It was a real like hamstring thing. And she said for like five miles, she was just like looking at spots in Chicago, like, where can I like pull out of here? And she just couldn't find a spot. So finally at like 11 or 12, she just got off the course 
and they bust her back. And then people are cheering for her because she had like a, uh, I forget what it's called. The competitive development group is what Chicago calls it for like the semi-elite now women that are running and the men that aren't in the pro field, if you will, but they're like trying to make the Olympic trials or, you know, run a really fast time. They get like special bibs. And she said people were cheering for her because she had the low number and she was by the finish. And that's when all the elites are finishing. And she's just like, no, no, don't cheer for me. Don't cheer for me. And then like, I don't know, it wasn't much later than that because um, Chicago's early October. Um, she ran, um, CIM like first week of December and she got her sub three. So she like, she totally got herself back to health. You know, she fixed her injury. She strengthened, she did all the strength training and work and pulled it out. And, you know, then she's also a coach. So she, she does work with somebody for her own coaching and, and got it together. But, uh, you didn't pull off though. You did finish the run, the race, right? Good. Yes. Good. I mean, I don't care if you did or you didn't, but you know, I don't <laughs> want it, people thinking like, Oh man, she pulled out of the race or you didn't ask her if she pulled out. Like, yeah, I mean, we all have to have one one learning experience at any age, Olympians or not. Um, so you know what? In a way, it scars you enough to know you'll take it even that much more seriously. Not the training. Lord knows I guarantee you did the training, like bang, zoom on. I guarantee you had every workout. You did everything you were supposed to do. You're working with your husband. That had nothing to do with it. Um, like you said, you're... You know, it's hard to break that feeling. I mean, that's the way you've raced your whole life. I mean, you've been a track athlete, you're racing on the track and even road races. These are like road championship U.S. races. You're face, racing the fastest women. You're not out running, you know, you're not running in some race where you're not going to be around people. You're like, there's always somebody to hunt down or you're trying to get out to the lead and, you know, take the race out. So yeah, you're going to have to like hold back, keep it together. And, you know, maybe you need somebody in like, you need the NASCAR setup, you know, where you have somebody on the headset talking to you, have your husband tell you to slow down and keep it, keep it to a certain point. And then maybe let you go at like 20 miles and say, all right, Kim, now you can let it rip. You know, this way you've like held it back all the way to there. Right. Yep. So do you have a, a marathon picked out since you, in your mind, you already know you want to try to be on the start line of the trials, uh, in 2024. No, not yet. I, I hope it'll be this year, probably in the fall. Um, but yeah, my, my agent, Karen, um, Karen Locke, who you met, you know, in the pizza place, um, yes. she, I, she's a pretty brilliant woman and I just completely trust her judgment. Um, she was not my agent back in 2016, but after, um, after that race, she was like, I can't believe you debuted here. I would have sent you to a much like more forgiving course. <laughs> so I was like, Oh, noted. Um, so um, we'll see what she comes up with. I, I know she'll she'll figure out a race where she thinks it's going to be the right you know setup for me to feel successful. Good. Well, I mean, if you ask my opinion, CIM is you. I mean, it's right in your old backyard. I mean, you got yeah, you true. got the local crowd support for sure. I mean, because you had a big in 2014, you you won the 10,000 meter championship there, right? And that was like more or less in front of your hometown crowd, right? Yeah, that that was a really special moment in my career. Um, just because after I graduated from Davis, I just I moved over to Sacramento, and and so I spent the next phase of my career there. And the U.S. Championships were there, and it just so happened that my sister was getting married that summer, a few days after the race in Sonoma County. Um, and so family from all over the world was coming in for that anyway. So they just came in in time for the race, also. And so I just had, you know, I had friends from Santa Rosa and family from all over the world and people from Sacramento all there. And so I just really felt that like hometown, like, yeah, favorite that night. That's awesome. So it didn't put, 
like because people go one of two ways it's either like oh no the weight of the world is on my shoulders and you're like sinking down or it's like i got my people here man let's go so were you like just completely stoked like i'm i'm ready for this thing let's go i'm, I'm gonna take it out and I'm, I'm gonna win this thing in front of everybody yeah it was definitely i definitely felt like uplifted by it um it was it was funny because Shalane was supposed to race. And so I definitely was going in with this mentality of like, this is going to be blazing fast from the gun and I'm just going for it. And I'm going to hang on for dear life and, you know, and see what happens. And I'm going to like, you know, be like empowered by all my people there in the stands. Like, you know, and I was an underdog in my mind. And then um, I think she'd done Boston maybe that year, but she pulled out basically like the night or two, like I think it was the night before. <laughs> and suddenly I was like, Whoa, what does this mean? <laughs> so then it came down to me and Jordan Hesse, who I knew would sit on me and just try to outkick me. And so I had to completely like revise my race plan to try to break her before it came down to a kick. Completely failed. Um, you know, she was right on my heels, clipping me with 300 meters to go and <laughs> went around me with 200 meters to go and like put a gap and it it could have been over, but like somehow I was able to like dig down for, for one extra gear, um, and then come off that home stretch. And that's when I could really hear that energy of, of all my people there in the stands. And, and I got by her Well, she moved wide and I got by on the inside with 50 meters to go. She left the inside rail open, which yep. just happened at the armory with the, uh, 3000 meter race, man. We're, we're talking all the, all of us track nerds and runner nerds are all talking about that. We're all so surprised because the two Oregon boys weren't watching out, man, where they should have been, man, because that boy's been, he's been racking up some crazy fast finishes in races, man. I'll tell you. Um, but yeah, that is, that's so cool because your whole strategy, your whole thought is you got to break her early and get out early and to get to the race. And it does not go the way you <laughs> expect. But see, I love, that's why I love having these conversations because no matter what we think, you know, we lay out the strategy, we're going to run a hundred miles a week and we're going to do this many long runs. We're going to get this much pace work in. And, and when we hit every single check mark, that's the ones where we have the worst fucking race, man. It all goes wrong. Like we're flat. We don't have it. We're not sharp. We don't know why it just doesn't work out. Right. And then you have a game plan for how you're going to run the race. Okay. I'm not going to let anybody get ahead of me. I'm going to close all the gaps. I'm going to cover all these moves. And then, you know, you don't have anything left when it comes to the end of the race. But in your mind, you know, Shalane, you were going to hang on to her. Okay. You were, she's going to make the race. She's going to take it out hard. And then she's not there. It's like, okay, this is what I need to do because Jordan is going to do this. And then she's there anyway. And then she gets by you. And normally you're probably figuring, I, I'm not going to be able to close this gap down. So, that had to be like crazy awesome, right? And I mean, even if you were like alone in Tokyo and no one, none of your family were there, to to do it with all of your family there and like to close the deal, that had to be pretty crazy, pretty crazy awesome, right? Yeah, it really was. It was that was a special night. Did you have a big party? I mean, I didn't get an invite, so it couldn't have been that big. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I was in drug testing for hours because I was dehydrated after ten thousand meters, so I couldn't be. So <laughs> the entire stadium was shut down by the time I got out. So then I just went home and Drew and I just had a glass of wine, just the two of us. <laughs> and that was the celebration. <laughs> so super low key after like crazy, crazy, crazy hype moments. So, I mean, that's obviously one of the bigger moments, one of the more awesome moments personally in your own running career. What other, what other races runs would you put up there as like kind of defining moments or like, Super special moments, moments that have real value that you still think of and, and 
they're front of mind today? Well, definitely the 2012 Olympic trials, um, to, to make that Olympic team, um, you know, just because when I graduated in 2009, my 5,000 meter personal best was about a minute slower than the Olympic standard. And so I'd kind of like, you know, made this, all this progress over the years and then entered the Olympic trials with a PR that was just only five seconds slower. And so I knew it was possible, but you know, on paper, nobody was picking me to make an Olympic team. Um, and then the way the race played out, like I came from behind and, and leaned at the line to take third place. And, and so like with that lean, I got under the Olympic standard by 0.21 and got third by 0.04. So that was definitely kind of like the most shocking, uh, defining moment of my career and just changed, you know, changed everything for me. Wow. Yeah. I mean, think, look at that gap is that microscopic amount and a lean and a lean to boot. So, you know, if you don't get that piece right at the end, you're fourth and, you know, who knows trajectory wise, you know, where it goes from there. I mean, the thing with running is, you know, no matter how much we love it, at some point you have to say to yourself, well, I didn't make the team, you know, maybe it's time to get a job, you know, maybe I'm not going to run for new balance right now, or, you know, you make it and then, you know, things just keep trending up. You keep working harder, you keep getting faster. So it's amazing how like some of those smaller things like that can make such a big impact on us in our career. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So 2012, 2014, big. And what about Olympics? What about some moments from there? Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> London was just phenomenal. You know, it was just, it was so shocking that I had qualified. Um, and the entire experience just felt surreal, you know, like I walked in the opening ceremonies and I just like, I couldn't believe I was there, you know, something I'd watched on TV, like all my life growing up and, and not something I just ever even dreamed about participating in. I just was never at that level and didn't see myself in that light at all. So, um, you know, and, and in London, it was just crazy. It was, you know, 80,000 people packed into the stands and they were just so loud Um, so, so that was just like, so thrilling and exciting. And I came off that experience. I I finished 12th in my heat, didn't qualify for the final, but I, um, I ran 15, 14. So it was another five second PR. So I PR at the Olympic trials by five seconds to make the team. And then I PR by five seconds again in London. So it was just like the end of a, you know, an amazing year, an unbelievable year. And I just felt so inspired by like, wow, like I've made this transformation since I graduated over the last three years. Like now I have four years ahead of me to the next Olympics and I'm going to like make an even bigger transformation. And I was just so excited, you know, about everything that was ahead. Um, and I did have really good four years. Like I, I won that U S title. I went to Houston in 2015 and I won that U S title I, along the way I ran 424 in the mile indoors. And so I felt like, um, I had this whole like vision for how I was going to progress and get to Rio as a better athlete. And I was like checking all these boxes along the way. And then in Rio, I had a bad race and I finished 12th in my heat again, and I didn't make the final. And that felt like such a letdown after four great years um, to just finish in the exact same spot that I had in the previous Olympics um, was disappointing. But now that there's some time has gone by, I mean, do you, do you still feel the same way? I mean, the amount of work you all do is crazy. I mean, but everyone does everyone there, whether you're a swimmer, you're a runner, a pole vaulter. I mean, everyone's doing just an amazing amount of work and they're just chasing this dream and you get there and it's not always going to go, 
you know, the way you want, you're not always going to have that day. Um, but do you, do you give yourself any grace, like looking back on it now and say like, you know, damn, I made two Olympic teams or is it still like, I got to, I should have finished better than 12. It's totally fine. I mean, it's your, it's your running, it's your life. I'm just curious myself. No, no, I do now. Now, when I look back, I think, wow. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to like put myself down now, but I kind of look back and I'm like, what did I expect? Like, like, you know, I'm like, you know, like, I, I don't know, like I, I should have been easier on myself at the time and put less pressure on myself to perform. And I should have gone and just enjoyed the entire experience because, you know, it's, it's remarkable to get, you know, two in a, in a lifetime. And, you know, and I still hope there'll be a third one. And if there is a third one, I'm definitely intend to like go soak up the experience and just appreciate that I'm there because in 2016, I was way too focused on it being like, you know, like I'm here for business. I'm a professional runner. Like I wasn't like, I didn't walk in the opening ceremonies. I didn't stay for the closing ceremonies. I just, I, I took it all too seriously for, you know, more, more seriously than I should have. I should have just gone and enjoyed the experience because that's what made 2012 so special. Well, I think it's great that you recognize it now because you're a coach yourself. Um, and you know, who knows, you don't know, you know, where the next version of your own life is going to be after your own running and you're not going to stop running. We're, we're going to run forever. That's what we do. But competing as a professional and being at the very top of the sport and you see what women are doing. Look at my friend, Roberta Groner from New Jersey. She just ran 231 in Houston. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, it's just remarkable what women are doing and what's her name winning the race, just completely insane, you know, setting the American record. I mean, it's just, honestly, it's, it's just mind boggling to see the performance, particularly of women um, and masters women at that. Um, so that is just something that to me, it inspires hell to me. I'm raised by a single mom who's going to be 90 and she's always been my hero and the person who I always think of when I'm in a tough spot in life. And that's kind of where stay in the fight. My mantra comes from is my mom because she's had lymphoma 30 years and she's going to be 90 and she worked for 30 something years at her job. And um, she's just this little tiny little Irish woman um, <laughs> whose eyes twinkle and sparkle, you know, kind of like has elfish qualities, but don't mess with her, man, because she could take anyone out, man. If she if she wants to, man, or she'll just freeze you out, man. She'll go seriously. You know, the Irish can just freeze you out or just like warm you up. So yeah, that's her. Um, but you know, the toughness and just the the spirit and the strength um and the results that women are getting, um, it's really it's crazy. And the depth of the performance is what's really truly inspiring and not to say that men aren't running great and aren't running great times, but it's just so much more front and center and you see it. Um, so that's something you can look forward to, you know, with your own running and continuing your own journey, but also, you know, your own reflections on the Olympics, you know, hopefully you'll get a chance to coach somebody, a runner like yourself or somebody that has that kind of talent and you can pass that wisdom along because we're always going to do better when, we take the pressure off of ourselves and certain runners do well by saying, I'm going to do this. Like, this is my goal. This is what I want to do because you're inviting other people to come in and join that experience. However, some people do really poorly like that. They, they try to do that because they see other people doing it and they think it's going to work for them, but then they realize it's a terrible idea. Like 
it's dragging them down. They're not even performing in their workout. So you know the race isn't going to go well. So however you are, you know, whether you're really introverted or extroverted, whatever your style is, you you post pictures on Instagram and don't tell stories or you're a storyteller, whatever your st- your style is, man, you got to do what works for you um, and not for somebody else. So, um, and you've figured that piece out. And I think it's important. It'll help you getting through this next uh, opportunity with 2024 and building up to it all. And you have two two Olympic trials in your past to work off of. And the marathon's different, um, as you've already found out from the one. Um, but I'm excited to see. I know you're going to have a great race. So I already know. I'm feeling very good about it. Um, and we'll have to see. I think CIM would be great. But who knows? You know, there's a lot of great places to race. Um, you know, it just depends on what kind of course you want. And that's... Uh, that's a part you'll decide with your agent and, you know, your husband, I guess, and you guys will figure out. I mean, do you think you're better suited for a hilly strength course or more of a flatter, faster course? Um, you know, I used to think flatter, faster, but that, I think that was because I spent so long in Sacramento, um, which is just a pancake. And, and you know, and that proved to be the case in Houston that, that you know, that course worked really well for me. Uh, now that I live in Flagstaff, I, all I do is train on hills. So I, I'm kind of thinking now, or I'd like to think that I can fare better now on a hilly course also. So, um, so we'll just see. It gives you more options. Um, and I mean, look, every course, no matter what, the end is always going to come down to strength. It always does. Um, the stronger runner, man or woman is always going to prevail in the end because, it's hard to hold it together. <laughs> I don't care how many miles a week you're running, man. It is really hard to hold it together. And of course, it's not holding it together because to win Boston or New York or any epic you know, major marathon, you better be able to close in those last couple of miles or you're not winning anything. <laughs> Everybody else is going to be running away from you and you're going to be like, okay, I'll see you all later. You know, Somebody get me a beer at the finish line, right? <laughs> oh, gosh. So um, a question, because to be doing it as long and as successfully as you have, like you have to have real drive and in any activity, it doesn't even have to be sports and business and life. You have to have drive and, and real competitive streak to be able to keep getting after it and keep jumping out of bed, getting the miles in, doing the work. You're in Flagstaff. I mean, yeah, it's a great place to run, but if you don't feel like running, it doesn't matter where you are. You could be in Boulder, you could be living on Central Park West, and you could live in Flagstaff, or you could live somewhere else. Like if you're not in the mood and you're not, you, the juices aren't flowing, you're not going to get the work done. So I'm just curious if you know if it's from a family member. Do you have a, an idea of like where you think that was forged with you? Did it happen at like an early age in life, emulating anybody, or it just kind of came to be on its own? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um... Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, my dad used to joke that my ability to run came from him, but the the spirit and the will came from my mom, and and I can definitely see that. My mom my mom isn't an athlete, but um, damn, she can get what she wants when she wants it, and she has a lot of drive in certain areas, and so I can see how that mentality kind of like came from her and was forged by her to um you know to really like like set goals and 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 not back down from, from chasing what you want. Great. I love it because a lot of times it doesn't come from one place. It can be a combination of a couple of people or even athletes that we want to emulate or we look up to. 
um, you know, when we're growing up in sports. And what about coaching? I know your husband is your coach, but what about like growing up like high school, formative years, college years? Did you have a coach or any, or maybe even more than one coach who really had an impact on you in the way they, they taught you, they approached training and how they communicated with you as an athlete? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I had two great coaches in junior high that were, they were also teachers, um, but just that, well, they were the ones that had me running to the ice cream store, um, but who just <laughs> made it really fun. Um, and, you know, like taught me about the importance of team. So like I was Mr. Walsh. He, um, I, w- I was the third fastest girl on my cr- junior high cross country team. Um, and, you know, like, so I winning became like, not like that wasn't a goal for me ever because I just, I didn't see myself in that light because I, there were two girls on my team that were faster than me, let alone like the rest of the race. But I remember before this one kind of like championship type race in our, in Santa Rosa, um, he became convinced that we could sweep the podium and and win the meet with a perfect score because score three scored. Like if I beat this one girl from the other school. So like all of a sudden I felt so important. Like it didn't matter that I was the number three girl on the team. Like I had this really important role on the team and I was so motivated to like do it for him. And, and he was so thrilled when I did it and it came down to a kick with the girl from the other school. And I was like digging so deep because I was like, no, like we're going to sweep the podium. Like that's my job. So he made me feel really important, even though I wasn't the fastest. So he was definitely a big one. And then um, one of my high school coaches, I had a few coaches in high school, but the one I had freshman year, um, he, he just like kind of taught, like he really like identified in me this like toughness um, so that, you know, again, even though like I wasn't one of the fastest, he was like, wow, like you have something in you that you can really like get so much out of yourself. Like you need to keep tapping into that. So that was an important lesson he taught me. And then um, we remained friends even after he retired from coaching. And, and then when I was a senior and I um, received a scholarship offer to run for UC Davis, I remember him pulling me aside and he was like really concerned that, you know, I was just like, woo, like, you know, I'm I'm going on scholarship to run. Like, this is what a dream. And, and he was worried. He was like, getting money to run can really change the way you feel about it. And you can start to have different expectations put on you. And then you put a different amount of pressure on yourself. And like, so he was really impressing on me, this idea of like, you have to keep doing this because it's what you love to do. Not because anybody else expects it of you, not because you're receiving the scholarship to do it. And so that stayed with me my whole life. And has really helped me through my professional career, as well as like at the foundation, I just have this love for what I'm doing. And it's not about the money. That's, those are two absolutely awesome stories. And they're totally formative in your journey because you know, the first one is so clear, like you weren't trying to win, but it was more important than winning. And that's, that mission was so much more important and it was personalized to you. Um, so like any great coach, any great teacher in life finds the way to get through to that athlete, to the student, um, that maybe isn't picking up the lessons or isn't learning as quickly as someone else and makes them feel that they're being heard, that somebody's watching them, seeing them and looking at them, that they're struggling or they're having difficulty. Or as an athlete, um, you know, I coached my son's baseball, travel teams and all that stuff. And I would always find the kid who didn't really want to be there, really couldn't hit, couldn't field, couldn't throw. And I would just make them feel important. I'd figure out something they could do. I don't care. Were they the fastest runner on the team? They would get to pinch run all the time. You know, I would teach them how to bunt so they could get on base if they couldn't hit. I would find some way to help build their confidence. And 
the changes in those kids, it just would be amazing. You know, like eight years later, 10 years later, you'd see them and, you know, they're growing up now and they got kids and they remember you. So, you know, he got through to you and made you realize how important you were. And I guarantee you, if he, you didn't have that relationship and you didn't have that connection and you didn't care about him and he didn't care about you, you probably weren't out kicking that girl. You probably weren't even in that spot. You probably ran like over your head that day because it was a mission that you had to be a part of to fulfill. And you did. Um, so you that stuff leaves a mark on us, right? And then the other coach worrying about the things he said, those are like powerful things. I mean, that's what happens to so many kids who are really talented in high school to get a scholarship to go run at a D1 school or play football, basketball, volleyball, or some other sport or swim or gymnastics. And the pressure becomes too much. The expectations too much lose weight. You know, you need to look like this. You need to do these things. And meanwhile, your school goes out the window and you know, you're not happy. You're not enjoying any elements of it. Similar to what you were talking about in your second Olympic experience. You didn't go, you know, for the walk in and all those other things. And you know, like that's as big a part of it, man, you know, you can go out there and do your race. It doesn't mean you can't walk around that stadium and feel the freaking pride of wearing a USA, you know, at, you know, uniform and a kit, you know, that, you know, God knows what designer got paid to, you know, Calvin Klein or Ralph Lauren or whatever, you know, you got all that stuff. You got your USA gear on right now. I mean, that's, that stuff forever should make you smile, man. Wearing any of that clothing, any of those outfits. I mean, that is an amazing accomplishment to achieve those things. And they're, they're part of you forever. Um, mm -hmm. So you have all of that yourself to channel for 2024, your own running, and then you're going to get some great new athletes and you'll, you'll pass some of those other lessons on. And I, I'm sure it'll help because somebody out there, it doesn't matter if they're ever going to make an Olympic team to them, they're screwing up their chance to qualify for Boston. They're screwing up their chance to run their fast in, fastest New York because they're telling themselves the wrong thing. They're having the wrong internal dialogue. They're saying things about themselves because they don't believe in themselves enough. So I know on the workout side, the training side, you know everything that has to get done. Do you spend time with them on that segment as well? Or do you try to like have those dialogues with them so that you understand what's going on on the mental side for them so you can help them there too? Yeah, I mean, that. I mean, this is like, yeah, directly kind of like correlates is you know, think, you know, getting ready, like, like so many of my athletes are in like big segment for Boston right now. And then I have a whole other group of athletes that are like, I really, really, really want to be cute. Like getting to Boston is this huge dream. And so, you know, what I'm realizing with the athletes that are going to Boston this year is how much I want to impart to them. Like you're there, you've made it. Like now you have to like go soak up this experience and enjoy it. And I, and I really don't want them to feel like pressure of like trying to perform at a certain level on that day. I want them to go like, love the experience. I had one text me today that was like, Oh, like I have like, you know, the possibility of registering for the BA 5k too. Like, do you think it would be too much? Could I do it? And like, could I do it as a shakeout? And I'm like, yes, like you can do it as a shakeout. Like you're going to Boston and then you're going to enjoy the entire weekend. Like that's, that's how we're going to do this. Yeah. See, that's great because that is immediately you know, what I would want to tell somebody, especially even if they've done it a bunch of times, like I've, even though I'm, I can't ever run my fastest times, I, I run in the hundredth, 
my fastest ball since 241, which was in 1996. So I ran in the 100th and I just did the 125th. So think of how blessed I am. How few, how many people in the whole world can say they ran in the 100th Boston Marathon and 125th? I guarantee you there's, there's less than 30 people. Maybe it's 20 or 25 people. There's just not that many that are going to bridge that age group you know, age group from there to there. And, you know, that's the stuff you should be doing. You know, even if you are in PR shape, you know, like I wish the Abbott 5K for New York City, I wish they wouldn't do it the day before the race. I wish they would do it on a Friday or Saturday because I think they would get even more buzz and more juice out of it. If they did that race on a Friday night and the the park was rocking and they had it all lit up, and all the runners were out there or, you know, you know, worst case, I think, think Saturdays, it's too close together. Um, cause in Boston, that 5k you're talking about the rate Boston's obviously Monday and that race is on Saturday. So you actually have a full day, you know, to recover and you're not going to run it all out anyway. But even if you did want to run it fast just to get some turnover and it's a really good thing to do. I always want to do some faster miles a couple of days before. So my legs aren't like dead. Um, Although they're getting more dead these days at 61. I hate to tell you, Kim. You know, we gotta we gotta get this this shit together, man. I gotta I gotta pull it out. Um, I'm having a little too much partying these days and not enough hardcore running. So we're gonna pull it, we're gonna pull it together soon. I think Tokyo is officially dead in the water if you're not from Japan. So if uh, if not, I would have been running Tokyo again. So Boston, I do have plenty of time to kick it in gear and get get re- get into representative shape and then get after some goals in, in the back end of the year. Um, so I think, um, one day for you, you have to have Boston on your, on your, on your calendar for sure. Right. (laughs) Yes. Have you been there in person for a race? Yeah, I did the BA 5k in 2019. Um, yeah. And it's just, I mean, it's phenomenal. The whole thing. Nice. So you were there the whole week and did you win? Um, no, I was fourth and top American. Ah, that was a competitive field that year. It was, yeah. I, mean, I because we were we were out there like walking around. I was like, "What the hell are these times?" People were like, "Whoa!" Like people are just blitzing it, man. That's a fun course, right? That five k course. Yeah, yeah. I, I need to talk to my agent, but I would really like to go do it this year. In large part because I have so many athletes racing. Also, that yeah, be fun to be there. That would um, be that'd be very cool. So you then be there for the weekend. You could be out there, maybe meet them on the course somewhere at some point. You know, there's so many good strategic places. I mean, you can get around Boston. I think New York is the greatest course to get around um, in terms of multiple access points because of the subways. I mean, you could literally be in Brooklyn and multiple places in New York with like no sweat if you know what you're doing. And even if you have no idea what you're doing, you could easily do two or three in New York City and still see the runner you're tracking. Um, yeah. Unless it's like Kipchoge or somebody, you might not be fast enough. <laughs> yeah. Fast enough. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Unless we get on the elite car, you know, with Shalane <laughs> and them, you know, that's that's probably our only shot. Um, so um, in races, I always love to ask people um, during races while you're racing. And, and it's obviously very different running track 5000s. You know, that's not something I've run a handful of track races, period. I haven't run very many, so I don't have any experience. But Man, I look at these photographs and I frequently look at them and I'm just amazed. Like when I run a marathon, I don't realize that there's that many people around me, behind me, you know, a few feet away from me. And, and, you know, literally when you see a picture on First Avenue, there are runners everywhere, but you don't feel that. Like at least I don't. Even I just don't feel it. But when you're all running on the track, 
these women, you are packed in like literally like sardines coming around those turns. And I mean, back kicks, sidekicks. I mean, you are so close together. I mean, does it ever, do you ever get like claustrophobic? Like I gotta get the hell out of here. Like, like what kind of feelings just like being in that kind of a pack or is just something you've just become numb to over time? Like this is the way it is. I'm used to this and this is the way it's going to be. That's ideal. Um, and what I found is that if I've like had a hiatus from track racing, like because of injury or even just like, if it's my first track race of the season, I'm way more antsy. It makes me really nervous to be like tucked into the pack. And then it takes like experience over a season to remember, like, to just like stay calm and like, you'll find an opening eventually. And you just have to trust that. Um, but I'm not great at it. I, I definitely, I get, a little, <laughs> I get a little nervous. I, um, you know, I'll get bumped around. I have a really high back kick. So I, I usually end up making contact with other people. I mean, and you know, I've definitely ended up like bloody from getting spiked. And I mean, that's, that is just part of the sport. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely takes some getting used to. Yeah. Cause when I see it, I'm just like, I can't believe just how close, I mean, it's like inches apart on every, on every rail, you know, coming around every corner and, you know, the races don't really separate unless it's like a crazy hot day or something to really break the field up. They don't really seem to separate. I mean, there's, there's, you're also competitive. Your, your PRs are also close together, especially when it's like a U.S. championship or trying to make a team. Everybody is normally not only trying to win or coming top three, they're also having to hit a standard time, you know, to make it, you know? Yeah. So I just, I just think of that. And then the spiking situation, man, I always, that's what I always think about the back kicks, because that's what people don't see, you know, people who aren't runners, they would never think of that. But anybody who's ever run, yeah, you think of that because if somebody has longer legs and they have a longer back kick, man, you're going to get cream, man. Your shins are going to be bleeding all over the place. Yeah. And it's going to be tricky. What's your worst war wound ever from a race? Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, probably just, probably just bloody chins. Um, yeah, nothing, nothing bigger than that. How about trips or falls in any big races? No, I don't think so. I've had, I've had my shoe come off twice, both in really important races. So that, um, that sucks. And that that's from getting clipped from behind and then the shoot comes off. Um, so the first one, first time it happened was at NC2A regionals my senior year. And I like, I was definitely in a position like poised to um, like, just, you know, with how my season had gone to make it to NC2As and I'd never made it to NC2As on the track. So it was like this big, you know, last goal I had for my college career and 600 meters into the race, I got clipped from behind and my shoe came like halfway off. I kind of panicked. And so I just kicked it off into the infield and then I was running barefoot on one side and spiking the other. And, and eventually I DNF'd. Um, so I'd never made it to NC toys on the track in college. So that was like a huge disappointment. And then, um, in 2016 in the 10,000, that was like the event I had targeted to try to make it to Rio in and about three miles in, I got clipped from behind. Same thing this time being a little more seasoned, <laughs> I pulled off to the side, stopped, put it back on but I tied my shoes so tightly that I couldn't just like slip back on. So I had to like really sit down on the track to get leverage <laughs> and get the shoe back on. And then I got up and I just tried to like, it was a hot day. So like people were starting to fade. So I just tried to measure my effort and, and catch back up, work my way up the field. But by five miles, the top like four or five were just long gone. So I, I ended up kind of making the strategic decision to drop out and save myself for the 5,000. Cause I did have the Olympic standard in the 5,000. 
but that was, um, it was disappointing. And it was like, it was hard emotionally to come off that race and kind of feeling like I failed to make the Olympic team, even though, even though there was nothing wrong with my fitness and it was just like a really unfortunate incident. Um, you know, I really like, I had to spend those next days before the 5,000 kind of like regrouping mentally, you know, to remind myself like, you know, you're ready to go make an Olympic team and, and, you know, just can't have anything go wrong. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much you can control, but there's, there's equally or more things that you really have none of at all um, from shoes and laces and tripping and back kicks and um, you know, maybe getting elbowed to the inside of the track or just a hundred other things that can happen out there, man. And it's, it's, um, it's just crazy. It's mad respect because for people that don't run track and run those kind of events like that, it's just, it's remarkable that you all, you know, can just hammer those laps out at the, at that speed. And then no matter what pace it is, no matter what heat it is, somebody can always like find some crazy ass gear at the end, you know, to, to, to win or to medal. I mean, really that's what it comes down to, right. To, you know, for, for the podium. Right. Yep. And is that just from like the way you finish workouts that you're always like doing, you know, is it just so many strides? Is it so many like fast finished workouts? Is it just, you know, running two hundreds at the end of workouts? Like, is there some formula that you all use or it's just that you're so used to, this is what it's going to take and that it's more almost mindset you know, to win one of these races or to finish top three, this is what I'm going to have to do. And I'm going to have to become great at this. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly that, like, you know, I think we all go in prepared mentally knowing like, this is how a championship races run. And this is what it's going to come down to as a fast finish. Um, so you're like, you execute the race kind of knowing that like you have to save something for the end. In terms of your preparation and training, I think there are different philosophies. Um, you know, certainly some coaches are like speed oriented and, and make sure they have all the like foundational pieces for, for being able to close really fast and just have that gear there. And then there are some coaches that will say like strength is speed. And so it's you, you have like whatever natural speed you have, but if you're like the most aerobic at that, you know, when you get to 200 meters to go, then you're going to be able to access that gear um, at the end of the race. So they're kind of like two schools of thought there, I guess in both, in both, it really, it still comes down to, um, how fast can you run 200 meters? Yeah. Can you, can you get the wheels to go in the end, you know, with the, ch when the chips are on the line and what about mantras? Do you have, uh, mantras, anything you're saying to yourself out there in a race? I mean, your races are 15 minutes. I mean, it's amazing how hard they are, but I mean, 5,000 meters anyway. I mean, you're going to be moving up and doing longer distance stuff and you've done 10,000 and had your, your half at Houston at 69. But I'm just wondering anything you're saying to yourself out there, talking to yourself to try to help you relax or focus, you know, when you're in a, in a tough spot or when you have to like really dig deep. I usually just have some simple keywords and they're like built around my race plan. So it's kind of like whatever, like I, you know, I, I break up a race, you know, into different segments, whether that's like, you know, in the 10,000 on a track, it's like by mile or, you know, maybe in the 5,000 it's by lap or by K and, and on a, in a road race, it might be by like different sections of the course. Um, and then whatever I want to like, be channeling in that moment, you know, whether it's like poise or control or, you know, like, um, you know, maybe at the end it's like, you know, be courageous or be heroic or, you know, it's like something that kind of makes me like dig a little deeper, but I'll just like, I'll just try to like repeat that word over to myself during that phase of the race so that I'm executing the race the way I want to. And I'm just focused on what I need to do in that moment. 
Got it. Yeah, it's important because, and also for coaching your athletes too. I mean, you know, it's like I, I've always said, like, what does the race demand? You know, like, what does the race require? Um, but then as you think through it, like, I think the best way to look at any race is you have to look at what are you really good at? What are your strengths? But what are your weaknesses too? You have to know. So if you're not great at fueling, then you got to pay way more attention to that in a marathon than you do in a half marathon. You can make it through a half marathon, even at your level without doing much. I mean, you can have a couple of bottles of Gatorade and that's it. You don't really need all that much in a, in a half marathon running 69 minutes, but you're running the marathon. You better get your fueling in. And you know, you miss a couple of bottles or you miss a couple of gels. It's going to, it's going to, come home to roost. It's going to cost you. And it could be a, a huge pay, a huge pay due, you know, at the end that really impacts, you know, what you could have run or what you would have run. Um, so with runners, like I personally always like to talk to my friends, like, Hey, be prepared. Like when something goes wrong, what are you going to do? How are you going to handle it? Like if it comes up, okay, that you didn't get your, your gel fell out of your pocket and this happened. Like, what are you going to do? What's your plan? I mean, there's going to be gels on the course. There's going to be Gatorade or some drink on the course. Like, how are you going to manage it? And that's why I always try to get runners to think about is, do you know anyone in Boston that's going to be out on the course? Maybe they could meet you by the firehouse and give you a Morton bottle. Maybe they can give you, you know, two gels that you could take from there, which is around mile 18 or 19 or whatever. I think if I'm getting my numbers right, maybe it's a little bit later. No, that's about right. 18 or 19 where we make the turn at the firehouse. Um, so just to think about if something goes wrong, how are you going to handle it? Um, because things are always going to go wrong. And instead of <laughs> yeah. saying like, oh no, it's not my day. I should have talked to Kim about this. No, no, no. I actually thought about this. She made me think about three or four things that might happen. And if they do, here's what I'm going to do. Okay. If I'm not feeling great in the first 10K, I'm just going to ease off a little bit. I'm going to ease up about 10 seconds a mile. I'm just going to like, let myself relax a little bit, control my breathing. And then, you know, I can always pick it back up or whatever, or if my stomach isn't feeling great, you know, getting my gels down, okay, maybe I'm going to wait a little and I'm just going to drink more and then I'll try to get more gels down as the race goes on or whatever. But, you know, just kind of like planning for things that might go wrong, you know, more or less. Yeah. Like in that, in those shoe stories, you know, the first time it was a disaster. The, and then in 2012, we'd watched it happen to Lisa Yule in the 10,000 at the Olympic trials. And so Drew had actually like shown me what she had done and kind of like coached me through. So if this ever happens again, you pull off to the side, you calmly put your shoe back down, you pick up one person at a time. You don't surge right away back into the race. You just like measure your effort to try to catch people. So that part of why I was able to execute that better in 2016 is because we had talked that out. Um, and then actually in my, in my marathon prep in 2016, um, he had me practice, taking cups with Gatorade in case I missed one of my bottles on the course so that then I could go grab a cup that's just like from on the course, because that is the skill that pro runners don't usually ever have to practice or, or they don't bother to practice because you have your own bottles and you don't need to use the cups on the course, but man, it, it's not easy to drink out of those things. <laughs> it's, it's not. And I mean, but that's great that you, you guys were going through these things and you're paying attention to other runners that have been through similar situations to you. And that's the only way you, we can be kind of prepared for something maybe that hasn't happened to us yet. In your case, you're having bottles on your table and you can obviously tape a gel to your bottle and every runners use many different formulas. You know, sometimes they put some of the gel in their drink and everybody has different approaches to how they approach fueling depending on the distance and whatever. But yeah, it's no picnic going through those Gatorade and water stops and, you know, people crashing into <laughs> each other 
other, man. I'm just like, and then you got dudes with headphones on that are just like in the middle of the road and they just like make a straight hard right and don't even like put a hand out or make any gestures. And don't mind, don't mind the rest of the runners as you just go over to the table and cut everyone off. Don't worry about any of us. We'll be okay. Here, should we just like stop and let you get your drinks? And then, you know, well, okay, good. You got your drink. Everything's good now. All right, good. We're, we're ready to resume with the race now. I mean, that's what it's like out there, man. You know, but you got to just roll with it, you know? And that's the greatness of like knowing the course and how it's set up. Like if you know Chicago, the tables start on the left side first. So the Gatorade, maybe it's three to five tables of Gatorade and then it's three to five tables of water, but it's consistent as hell. It's 100% consistent. The right side table starts, maybe there's like a block in between and it starts over there. So if you know this going in, you don't have to be bouncing back and forth. You can decide if you're going to hit the left side table. And if you've ended up in the middle of the road because of a tangent or you're avoiding some idiot like I just talked about, you know, you can hit the right side table when you need to. But, you know, the other thing too is people want to go to the first table. It's like, no, man, don't go to the first table, man. Just like chill, like drift over, man. You know, you can get to the last Gatorade table just as easily as the first one, you know, and you get your drinks. And um, those are good things, you know, that you're thinking about and practicing. So um, pretty cool real life stories. One thing I ask every runner, um, because we've all hit a tough spot or a tough patch somewhere, whether it's in life, physically, something or running, you know, darkest hole you ever dug out of. And how did you make your way out to the other side? Yeah, I think um, 2017, the U.S. Championships returned to Sacramento. And that time (laughs) I was less uplifted and put way more pressure on myself, like further to be like a repeat of 2014. You know, I I wanted it all to play out exactly the same so badly. Um, And I, I was battling plantar fasciitis, but like kind of, kind of in denial about it slash keeping it a secret from everybody, including my poor husband coach. (laughs) Um, Just, it was just like a situation where I thought if I didn't talk about it, it, you know, it wasn't really there. Um, And so it just, the, the, the whole weekend, the race, it just, they just ended up being a disaster. And I I ended up dropping out of the 10,000 and then came back in the 5,000, which unfortunately was the next night. So after like, you know, not sleeping at all the night after the 10,000 tried to come back in the 5,000. And, um, I think I can't remember what place I got, I finished, but you know, it was, it was rough and it was just like such a disappointing weekend. Um, and so that, that felt like the lowest moment and that, you know, I, I like, like from that point on, like, I, I guess you could say I was starting to crawl my way out of it because I like was admitting that I was injured and, you know, I was, facing that huge disappointment of, um, not qualifying for the world championships. It was the first time since 2012 that I like, you know, toe line at the U S championships, you know, thinking like I was going to go contend to make the world team and, and didn't make it. Um, but man, it was a long road. Like I got PRP. I ended up getting PRP in both feet later that summer because when they did the imaging to compare my two planners, they saw a bunch of scar tissue on the other one from a previous bout of plantar fasciitis. So they wanted to do both. Um, and then that the PRP did not work for me anyway. So it was like a really long, (laughs) long saga of like taking time off and then coming back and just having the planner return. Um, and so it, like, I didn't race again until like late 2018. Um, and then it was just like a long grind to try to return to form. Like that was just a really, it was, that was a hard period in my career. Well, that's, that's tough. Um, 
and even more exacerbated by being back at your hometown place where, you know, you'd had so much success. So, but either way, it would be tough anyway. Um, you know, whether it was somewhere you had never raced before, you know, it's still, you've been there a bunch of times and you had so much success and, you know, it's interesting because runners, that's the way we are, man. We, we don't even, you don't even tell your own husband about your injury. <laughs> who's not just your husband, by the way, he's also your coach. Okay. So like, I know there's a fine line there. I'm trying to think, oh, so I could keep this from my wife. Oh, my wife's also my coach. I'm not really <laughs> sure, but this just proves once again, that all runners are all crazy. We're all completely crazy, but yeah, somehow you're trying to like convince yourself if you don't tell anyone, don't say anything that maybe it'll just go away. And um, it just shows you how damn determined we all are and that we're going to do whatever it takes to get out there, you know, that we want to compete and go out there. But unfortunately, there's times when that isn't the best decision. And, you know, obviously it wasn't the best decision. And, you know, sometimes PRP works and it can be magic for some people. Sometimes it absolutely doesn't do a single thing. Um, and planner is a tough thing, man. It's one certain injuries can be, can just go on for years and ITB and other things tend to be so chronic and never really go away. Um, so it, it's great that it, you finally got through that. Um, do you, was it more rest than anything else or what was it just, you know, just think it just needed time to heal or you weren't racing. So you weren't in your spikes all the time. Cause I mean, planter can get no doubt can be aggravated a lot more by being in spikes and racing on the track a lot more than road running or on the trails or in the dirt. Cause at Flagstaff, you got options up the wazoo. I mean, you could be on the trails and dirt every day if you want to, right? Yeah. You know, I wish I knew what cured plantar fasciitis. I have no idea. Um, when I had it in the right foot, it lasted six months. The left foot, uh, closer to a year went, went away. And then I dealt with it again this past spring. I missed the Olympic trials. Um, you know, in 2021, I was on the sideline with it again in my left foot and knock on wood. Now it's, it's, feels really gone. Um, and I, I think you're right. I think a lot of it has to do with like, I'm not, I'm not at all in spikes. Um, so hopefully, you know, hopefully that makes a difference for me now. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I just think that 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 shoe wear, man, it is just so constricting. It's so, and it has to be, I mean, look, I mean, almost everybody running unless you're running in the well marathon runners aren't wearing spikes um but i'm you know and real 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 long distance runners aren't you know 5000 you know even 10000 it wouldn't shock me to see somebody in the olympics wearing a carbon fiber shoe it wouldn't shock me um and of course they have carbon fiber spikes now but i'm saying it wouldn't shock me at all to see a runner on the track in the 10000 meter in the next olympics running in a vapor fly or some other shoe you know, with a carbon, a carbon plate, because I think it's just so much less pounding and you know, that the back of those shoes, the heels, that's, I think that's where the impact really, really does it. And so many more of the track runners like you, you're probably more a midfoot runner or even on your toes a lot more. Right. And you know, I'm a marathon or distance runner. I'm the quintessential heel striker. So like me, spikes would not be, it wouldn't be a pretty experience for me at all. Although it'd be fun to run in them like one time or two, but cross country spikes were fun because you know, you're running on grass and dirt anyway. So that's the other thing. And I meant to ask you that before, because you've had all the stuff with track and you've done some road stuff. Have you ever done cross country? Yeah. Yeah. I have, um, in 2013. Well, so yeah, I mean, I did it obviously all through high school and college mm -hmm. and then I did it U S championships in 2010 did U S championships in 2011. Um, in 2011, really, really 
thought I could make the world team and I fell just short. And so that was kind of a, that was disappointing, but I qualified for the NACAC championships. Um, so that was one of my early experiences putting on the U S singlet. So that was really fun. Um, and then in 2013, finally made it to the world championships. They were in Poland. Um, so that, that was exciting, but man, the race in Poland was tough. I mean, that, that European cross country is brutal. You know, I fully admit I grew up in California. I love a good, clean golf course for a cross country race. <laughs> so, um, I, I haven't, I haven't felt like a huge pull back to cross country since that experience in Poland. Yeah. I've seen some of those races and I got to tell you, you know, my friends who grew up in the UK, like Scotland and London, they're all like, oh man, you guys cross country's fake and you, you don't know cross country. <laughs> and they're running through like rivers and streams and, you know, you see the hunting dogs in there. Yeah. They are definitely way more hardcore when it comes yep. to that kind yeah. of running than we do. And that's great. It's just one of those things you grow up with or you don't. Um, so yeah, me, I'm not running. I mean, I'm, I like trail runs and I like ultras. But man, when you start seeing these people going off cliffs and UTMB and stuff like, no, no, I want to be alive to see my son maybe have kids one day and stuff. So like if I'm running UTMB, it's going to be like Ron runs MIC, went off the cliff here. Okay. So somebody's <laughs> going to take over my podcast. So hopefully somebody will keep the show going if I, uh, if I end up off of a cliff, but yeah, I, I was just wondering, you know, curious about it. Um, so on the coaching side, you know, you're doing really well with the coaching now. We talked about your, you know, experiences, coaches who will influence you. Um, what do you think you'll continue to do or focus on, you know, working with McCurdy? Will you try to get more athletes? Or are you at a certain number right now where you're like very happy with? Because I mean, obviously you have a certain amount that you can truly handle where you're comfortable and continue to focus on your own running. Like what's your plan for that? Like long-term here? Yeah, I think, um, I have, I'm coaching 29 people right now. And I've, I told James, like, I thought 40 is probably a, a good number for me right now. Um, I'm not, I'm not like in a rush to, to just like jump to 40, you know, quickly either. Like I'm, I'm really happy with the the balance right now and, and like the amount of attention I can give all the athletes. Um, and then I think long-term, like when I, you know, when I'm going to put less emphasis on, on my own running, then yeah, it can definitely grow from there. Um, is what I'm thinking. And are, are you focusing on any distances? I, you said you're working with a lot of people with Boston that are running Boston or trying to beat you for Boston. Are you focusing more on marathon just because so many more runners are training for that and do hire a coach, which is very smart decision, by the way, don't try to start running your own marathons on your own when you haven't done one. So is it more that focused right now? Or are you going to, are you open to like coaching anybody, you know, across any distance? Yeah, I'm open to, um, coaching anybody. It, yeah, it is a lot of, a lot of marathoners and a lot of focus and attention on BQs and, and going to Boston. Um, but yeah, I, I have a few, I have, I have two that have said they absolutely have no desire or interest in ever running the marathon. <laughs> Jimmy laughed and I was like, good for you. Cool. <laughs> yeah. And, and slash we'll see, like, you know, I feel like the bug hits everybody at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it hit, it hit you. That means it can hit everybody from the 5,000 meter girl all the way up through. I think eventually everybody's going to say at one point, all right, I have to do this once. And then if you do it once, it's almost likely you're going to like, you just almost have to do two. Um, you may not do any more than two, but you, unless you just run some amazing race your first time. And even then there's, are you really not going to run a second one? And, 
yeah. unless you yeah. like literally break yourself the first time, you're probably going to be like, I have to try this again. I know I could do a better job. Uh, so that's good. And what about any split between working only with women, men? Do you care? Because obviously in trying to help you, you know, connect with athletes and stuff through my own connections, friends of friends and, you know, the New York City running community and the reach I have. Um, are you coaching like anybody? Like, is there any group specifically or doesn't matter? No, it doesn't matter. I definitely have more women than men right now. Um, but yeah, that doesn't matter to me one bit. I um, enjoy working with everybody. Good, good. And um, I always close out every show on community service um, because I think it's important. Um, it just makes everybody thinking the guest who's on with me, me, and then everybody who listens to the show, it makes everybody thinking about community service more. And the more we think about it, the more ways we'll want to potentially get involved. So what's something that... Um, has had an impact on you in the community service area? Yeah, I, um, well, so back in 2012, um, I received a grant from, it was from, it was from the Sacramento Running Association who puts on CIM. Um, and they were using some of like their profits to, um, to help fund like Olympic development athletes, you know, going into that Olympic year. And so they gave me a grant that really made a huge difference um, in my career. You know, I wasn't sponsored um, and so when I made that Olympic team, I really felt like they, you know, deserved a lot of credit for like helping launch me. Um, and so a few years ago in 2018, um, I had the opportunity to, to become a board member for a foundation that's based in Northern California that does the same thing. It gives grants to aspiring Olympic hopefuls. Um, and so that's, that's something I've been doing. That's just been really rewarding to like, you know, like fundraise and then develop a grant program that can help that, you know, next generation of younger athletes who, who are kind of struggling, especially in other event groups in track and field. Um, like, you know, sprints obviously are the best, but distance runners have a really good, um, in terms of sponsorship opportunities and, and the prize money on the roads and stuff. But man, when you're talking about, long jump or discus or, you know, let alone the race walk, like there just, there just isn't the same amount of money out there. And so, um, it's been really cool to be able to develop a grant program and then help support, um, Northern California athletes and, and two of them made it to Tokyo. So that was really cool. Oh, that's great. Um, and it's painted forward. So it had an impact for you and your own career and, um, for you as an athlete, and then for you getting a chance to get back in those waters and help, um, and just see, you've been experiencing this for uh, multiple games at this point and seeing, you know, where the areas are that need more money, need more attention and areas that are maybe more flush or doing well. Um, yeah. Flush is the wrong word in track and field, man. You know that, <laughs> yeah. you know that better than I do, uh, my friend, because um, it's a, it's a, it's a tough way to make a living. Um, yeah. You know, it's a beautiful way to make a living if you can, but it's a tough way to make a living. I mean, you, you all work so hard at your craft, you train, you run so many miles, you have to do so many things to just keep your body upright, healthy, um, and in a state to be able to perform um, at these big meets, at these big championships and peak. And, um, you know, we have so many things that conspire against us on top of that. So um, it's super impressive um, and always love to hear those kind of stories. So one thing I will give you, because I think you'd be good at it, um, you have a lot of runners in the community who know you and know what you've done as a runner. And now you're coaching people through McCurdy. And he certainly has a, a, a very good presence on Instagram and Facebook with his athletes and does a great job of promoting his runners and what they're doing. Um, you got to do a running camp, man. Come to New York City, do a running camp or do it in Flagstaff. I mean, 
you know, put a running cam together. That's easy, man. I can help you promote it. I mean, I'll, I'll post it on my channels and share. And um, I've got a lot of women runners who are awesome, who are doing great things. I mean, maybe they're never going to run in the trials, but they're really fast. They're doing really well. They're growing. They're getting stronger. And for them to come out and get a chance to meet you and run with some other people who are fit and strong and run in a really cool place like Flagstaff, I mean, that would be pretty awesome. So you should put a, yeah. put a camp together. Cool. Yeah, that's a great idea. And come up with a charity community aspect or something. I can help you with that because it's it's really not that hard. Because if you can come up with a good community aspect, there's always going to be a brand that will be willing to pony up some money. And that's always a big thing. Um, because, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, people will pay. I mean, I pay. <laughs> I travel around the world to run these races. Nobody's paying me to go run all these marathons. So I'll get on a plane and go to Flagstaff for nothing anyway. But I mean, if there's going to be some fun itinerary and there's going to be a couple of cool speakers, and um, I don't know if you know, but I'm very involved with Coros, the brand. They don't sponsor my podcast because I just kind of like the idea that I'm not getting you know, paid for my podcast. Um, I'm not saying I won't monetize it at some point because, you know, look, at the end of the day, when you work for things and you put a lot into it, it's okay to make money. There's no reason why you can't. Um, but Koros is like my brand and I'm really tight with them. And um, I've tested this watch, the Coros Vertex 2 for them, for the CEO. And I, I know their organization and the CEO and their marketing team really well. So I'm pretty sure that I could get Team Koros to get involved with something like that. If we were going to do a fun running camp, and get yeah. some of the people from Coros to come out there and have, you know, just talk, have some of their athletes. I mean, look at, I mean, they sponsor so many amazing athletes um, in the marathon, track and field, and ultra communities already. And then also mountaineering and climbing and just, just all around fitness and sports. So just an idea. I love to brainstorm. So I think it'd be something pretty easy to put together. And plus you have James and McCurdy. So you have that brand that you can work with also, you know, for anybody who's maybe considering getting coached by McCurdy in general. And, you know, I've actually had quite a few runners on the show who are coached by McCurdy, um, women who've run really fast time. So I'm, I, I'm pretty sure I could just reach it back out to them and say, Hey, we're all going to Flagstaff and we're going <laughs> to hang out and you're going to meet Kim. And she's going to give a talk about Olympics and training and coaching, and then just get some other people. It'd be fun. Yeah. It would be a lot of fun. I think, yeah, it's a great idea. Cool. So we covered a lot. I don't know if we missed anything, but I always like to give the guests that one last shot. If there's some talking point or some something big or top of mind, you know, that's on your mind, Kim, that we didn't get to that you want to cover off on before we roll out. I think we've covered everything. Um, yeah, I mean, this has been great and really in depth and and really fun. Well, I'm so happy to hear that. And I really appreciate you coming on, especially doing two in one day. You get the major gold star. That is like so <laughs> awesome. And uh you know, like I, I know lots of people, people who listen to my show are going to be super stoked to hear your words about your running journey and what you've done in the community because you've had a big impact and also moving forward, what you're going to continue to do, not only with your running, but also with your coaching. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing all that inspo for the Run Chats followers. And I close out every show telling everybody to keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight. Wow. It was such an honor to host that convo. Man, Kim Connolly is an amazing athlete, just incredibly inspiring what she's done at this point in her career. And I am just super excited to follow her marathon journey and also to see the impact she's going to have as a coach 
Uh, and I think that's working in both directions. Uh, she's drawing inspo from the work ethic and attitude of the athlete she's working with. And I think it's infusing her own running as well as she makes this transition and begins to focus 100% on the marathon and trying to get on the line in the Olympic trials in 2024. So I can't wait to follow that journey and just see how it all comes together. We also talked about uh, some of her other interests about potentially putting together a running camp, maybe even right here in my backyard in New York City. So selfishly, I hope that will come together and I can play some part in hanging out, maybe doing some sort of podcast or show with some of the attendees, which would be super fun. And uh, overall, just uh, super excited for this one. I know uh, the Run Chats audience is going to get a lot of juice uh, listening to Kim share uh, so many of the high and low moments of her career to this point and where she's going. So uh, I hope you all will continue sharing as you have. It really helps us continue to get amazing guests like him on the show uh, and also brings new followers in uh, who may have been on the couch for a long time and maybe never even started running to this point. And that's what this is all about, man, getting people moving, getting them excited and getting them fired up. So let's keep doing all of those steps, my friends. Appreciate every one of you who takes that extra step to go on Apple Podcasts and write a review because it really helps us keep the momentum going. So keep lacing them up, my friends. Keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight. Peace out, my friends.